Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! Once again, the Targets balance the flick on. Gather round villains and welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. It's been a busy old week at B6 with mixed results on the pitch. New players joining and of course old players uh, not leaving. So we're here to wrap it all up for you um, this week in, in, in this podcast. I'm Andy and joining me this week, I'm delighted... They're both back. It's Craig and Dan. Yes, we're going to wrap it up a bit like your auntie wraps up a pair of socks for you on Christmas morning. Um, it's an interesting time. A really good result against Manchester City, but still um, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. <laughs> yeah, hi gents, hi listener. Bumper podcast this week, lots to talk about. And, and it's not all bad for a change. It's not all bad. Um, it's... Uh... It's a bit mixed, um, but we're going to get the we're going to get the more negative side of things out of the way. And obviously, um, Villa travelled to Arsenal last Wednesday night um, for the, the the first of a, a really difficult looking uh, double header. Um, Gerard under loads and loads of pressure, of course, and um, it was a it was a really difficult evening at, at the Emirates with. Arsenal pretty much um, going hell for leather at Aston Villa since, um, from the first minute, um, in truth. And it was a really difficult first half, and Villa could have been um, a few goals down, in, in all in all honesty. But it was just the one goal um, which separated the teams. Gabriel Jesus um, pounced on a um, an error by Emi Martinez, um, although... Emmy Martinez had had done quite a lot to keep Villa uh, level in that game. Um, what were you, what were you thinking this this first half, guys? Um, start with you, Craig. What what was your what was your uh, your thoughts at halftime here? Sacked in the morning, <laughs> digging and sacked. That's <laughs> how I felt at the time. Um, I said, I pondered, I opined on this podcast last week that should Villa suffer two heavy defeats at the hands of Arsenal and um, Manchester City respectively that Steven Gerrard would be out by the time we came to record today's podcast on Monday, September 5th. And um, it looked for to me and, and probably to all others watching that that was how it was going. I think Villa were very lucky to get into the halftime at Arsenal 1-0 down. It was really tin hats at dawn and... Um, and it, it it looked as as bleak as it as it could have looked, I think, um, in the beginning. But fortunately, from that kind of depth, from the, those kind of depths of despair, we have had some uh, green shoots to uh, quote old Stevie Bruce. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know. I'm having to relive the Arsenal game because Andy's reminded me about it. I feel like I blanked out of my mind after the weekend, but. But I went back and looked at the highlights again and we were so lucky to get out of that first half just one down. It, it could have been a cricket score and I think we'd have been comfortable with that. We were we were awful and I think 
the frustrating thing was is is you could probably see that we were going to be awful the second we saw the team sheet is you know McGinn and Ramsey in midfield again a team that would be all over the place and and tactically giving Arsenal the space exactly where they want it which is in wide areas and I honestly thought that the Stevie Gerrard's goose was cooked after this one because it was such a woeful first half and to be fair we came back into it in the second half with our tactic of letting Dougie Louis score from corners but apart from that I don't think we're at the races for this one at all but it just shows you what a few days will do in football that, that we're not banging our, our drums for, for Gerrard to be out today although the mind's slowly rattling away in the background still Yeah it was a it was a funny team selection wasn't it? I think I think most of us Probably looking at that midfield um, when it was announced were just sort of head in hands really because we've just seen you know how um, how open that midfield can become um, when it's put under any kind of pressure really and uh, it didn't look good um, from my perspective like I was saying to to you guys before we started it having sat through the West Ham game um, and. You know, it was it was one of the slowest, um, most dullest games of football I've I've seen at Villa Park for a number of years. Uh, it it just felt at least they were there was a bit of running, there was a bit of intent. You know, there was a few sort of challenges flying in, particularly from McGinn um, early on, and it, it, it did kind of feel like they were they were working hard, even if it wasn't really coming off. Um, and they had one or two moments. I think Buendia had a couple of couple of shots at goal, albeit you know not particularly uh, testing shots. Um, but it really wasn't. It didn't look good at all, did it? And I think we were, like, say, fortunate to 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 be only one only one down um, going in. But of course, uh, sort of the mind goes back to last season, and it was a, a bit of a different story. Second half, I thought. Um, I thought Villa had a, had a little bit more. They they were improved second half. They had a bit more sort of forward momentum, um, and Arsenal, you know, were almost, you know, um, paying the price for not for not finishing us off. Really, you mentioned uh, Douglas Louise, the, the the corner going straight in. I mean, Craig, this is uh, is this is this just something he's. Is it is it luck or is this something they found he's actually quite good at and he's they're they're kind of milking it? No, it's not luck. Um, the, I think the, uh, the the three times in the season now, as well as the the ones in training that we've seen on Villa social media in the last couple of weeks, um, is is quite obscene. <laughs> I don't ever remember seeing anything like that from anyone. I'm thinking who else could have done it? Maybe Letizia, but I don't remember him doing it. Goals from corners are so rare. So for them to be three, not even in a season, three really in, in 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 just a, in in less than uh, ten games, including our preseason stuff, is just absolutely obscene. So clearly, it's a plan, it's a strategy, and um, although it might not be the most reliable route to goal for a Premier League football team, we are in a position at the table where I, I'll take the wins where they come. Quite frankly. Yeah, it's probably the only way we'll score. I mean, unless Leon Bailey's on the pitch, it's it's just absurd, isn't it? You don't see it that often. But maybe it's Austin McPhee. Maybe this is his his genius. Now he's an extra season into set piece coaching for us. He's just 
telling Dougie, screw all the innovative uh, runs and the love train and all of that. Just put it in the goal, Dougie. That's that's the advice. Maybe that's what Stevie G said to him as well. Get him on the pitch, put it in the goal. And it's it's probably no surprise that we turned down bids from Arsenal in the end because this looks like our major goal source going forward. So <laughs> so we couldn't get rid of our top scorer, yeah, could a, we? It's a, it's a funny one, but um, both, the, both the goals, the one, the one in the cup against Bolton and the one at Arsenal did kind of feel like there might have been a bit of an infringement on the line as well. Um, certainly the one at Bolton, I'm convinced that gets ruled out by VAR under normal circumstances. Um, if there is such a thing as normal circumstances when it comes to VAR. Um, and I wasn't sure about this one. I kind of looked at it thinking maybe camera had, had impeded Ramsdale for, for that one. What, what, what did you make of this, of that one? I think Ramsdale didn't cover himself in glory, did he? I mean, I'm no goalkeeper, but he flaps at it a little bit. But I think you're right, there's a little bit of dark arts going on on the line there from, from Kamara. I think if there was a foul, it was Ramsdale on um, on, on Kamara. Kamara has no um, obligation to cede position. He stood still. Yes, he's kind of bending over with his, with his backside out a little bit, but that's, that's fine. And um, you'll actually see in the replay, Ramsdale puts his arms around... Uh, Kamara's neck and then thinks thinks better of it. Obviously, Kamara's strong enough to 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 withstand that kind of pressure. So I think if, the, if there was any foul at all, it was actually Ramsdale, which is a very risky business for anyone putting your arms around necks in in, in the penalty area. Unless, of course, you play for Man United, in which case it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is potentially a stupid question, but obviously teams will be wise to this now, right? They know if Doggy goes over for a corner, maybe they put someone on the near post. Does that take away the weapon, or does it mean that there's now one extra man unmarked in the box so we can score from another way? Or is it, you know, is it too much of a freak thing that it can happen again this season? Go on, Craig. No, no, I, I think it can happen again because I think that it's it's it's... A difficult thing to to defend against because even if you put even if the goalkeeper moves to the front post which is irregular for a goalkeeper to be still on the post from a corner for the obvious reason that Dougley can adapt and then them go to the far post so it's kind of like double bluff isn't it um, so no goalkeeper can necessarily stand on the near post because they know Douglas always has the ability to just put it over his head a la De Bruyne and Haaland although that wasn't a corner we'll talk about that later on um, or we do have some some big lads, particularly with the big big uh, big bruisers, as I coined them on Twitter, uh, Den Donker and Bednarek coming in the door. So we are we are you're getting your wish, Andy. We are turning into to to we're turning to Pulis ball <laughs> or Dice ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean we certainly uh, need needed some profile, didn't we? But we'll we'll obviously talk about talk about those lads um, in a bit. But uh, it didn't last long. The joy. You know, Dougie's Dougie celebrating his first goal at the Emirates. Um, was hoping for maybe a few more this season, but um, he's uh, he's he's going to be staying. But soon after this, um, soon after the goal, obviously Villa have that as they are making a habit of this season um, conceded again, and it was really it's really a difficult goal to watch. I think defensively, there you know there was players not really um, fulfilling their their duties um, at any point during during the the, the move really um, and it, it ended up with uh, Martinelli with a I mean uh, the commentary over here was saying that Martinez didn't have a chance with it but he got a good palm to it and it, it went through him really didn't it and uh, you know I think that's a couple of 
couple of errors really for for Martinez on on the night, albeit you know otherwise he he did have a good game. Um, Craig, talk me talk me through this goal. This was a, a bit of a car crash. Yeah, I think this was another one for the Aston Villa goal giveaway club. This was almost, uh, we talked about uh, socks gift wrapped from your auntie earlier on. This was kind of gift wrapped. There was also, there was bubble wrap to protect the socks. Then there was tissue paper put in. And then there was a box as well. And then there was a ribbon around the box. And also little scented, uh, what are those little scented bubble things that you put in? <laughs> it was so beautiful for Arsenal. It was incredible. Um, Gerard. um <laughs> no stranger to throwing his players under the bus, uh, did so again in his post-match interview here, um, talking, uh, blaming Mings and Cash, not by name, but obviously it was very thinly veiled, upset with Mings for not showing Saka onto his uh, right foot, allowing the left-footed cross, and then Matty Cash in no man's land, for some reason marking, I don't know what who he was marking or what he was thinking, Matty Cash. And then also there's probably questions to be answered for Martinez uh, and he did answer them he did uh, in, in, in an interview after the Man City game take responsibility for that goal as well so definitely three mistakes there um, probably four when you when you look at Gerrard as well again it's that team shape as you mentioned earlier Daniel so narrow Arsenal play one long, long ball I think it's Salah but one long ball over the top and their wingers 1v1 versus Cash and Villa are backpedalling and in trouble um, really disappointing goal and um, probably just symptomatic of, of, of some of our struggles both offensively and defensively um, under Gerrard um, we, we don't look like scoring unless it's from a Douglas Luiz free kick or a wonder goal and we, we look like conceding almost with every attack so not a good combination and this was really summed it up again really weak goal to concede really weak from a mentality point of view um, to concede again so quickly after scoring and just not you know that was where when when I really thought I, at half time if I thought sacked in the morning <laughs> after this I was like well this is this is it now isn't it this is the end this is the end of, of this is the last knockings we are at the death rattle stage of this managerial reign yeah I mean they they did um because, like I said, they they had improved. They kind of worked hard to get a bit of a foothold in the game, um, such as it was, and then to have that bit of luck. And I just wonder whether, you know, if they if it had been a normal kind of goal, where they've they've done a build up and it, you know, and and, and finished it off and and maybe celebrated, you know, because it was all a bit of a when you score a goal direct from a corner, it's kind of well, it's a bit of a as 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 skillful as it it is it needs to be to do it it's it, it is a bit of a well that's kind of a free one isn't it and it's just whether they really kind of um understood the fact that they they could potentially put arsenal under a bit of pressure at that point you know i remember last season when we played played arsenal it was under dean smith um that's the most damning thing you've ever said andy I What's wonder that? if they thought they might actually be able to win a game of football. That's <laughs> basically what you were saying there. I'm sorry, carry on. Last no, last season under Dean Smith, that, yeah, was no, just, pro- that just right, tickled but, me. <laughs> but we were. I mean, you could argue that the the, the first um, I don't know, sort of fifty odd minutes of the, the the game last season was even worse, and we were three nil down, um, and then Ramsey scored. And suddenly there were, you know, Villa were creating opportunities again, and it looked like if we get another one, blimey, we, you know, we're really in business. We we could we could claw this back. 
but we just sort of fell away, didn't we? It, we it's like we got the equaliser, you know, the shoulders dropped, we breathed a sigh of relief and, and reverted to type. And like you say, that the first thing you do when you when you get back in the game is you 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 go back into your shape and you you, you make sure that everything goes everything goes into row Z and they just didn't they just didn't do any of the basics um right for that goal and it, it was a it was a really poor one. You know, really poor. Arsenal didn't really have to do anything to score that goal. That was the that was the, the disappointing thing. Remind me of one of the Palace goals where they just cut straight through us. And I think it's I think it's a symptom of the way Steven Gerrard played before Man City. Maybe we'll need like a like a BC, a BMC for, for talking about Gerrard at the moment. But he plays this chaotic brand of football with runners from midfield and fullbacks getting high. And, and you look at the heat maps and the average positions and it's all over the place. It's like instead of actual brush strokes, someone's just lobbed a paint can at the wall and hoped it developed a bit of a picture. And and the problem with that is you're wide open. And, and we see that so many times. That's why we can't keep it tight after scoring because... Then this this weird freeform jazz comes out again, and, and and we're not good enough to do the freeform jazz. Sorry, my my metaphors were all over the place there, but you get the idea. Oh yeah, it's it's abstract <laughs> art, is what you're looking for, and it's That's it's it. you know it might look random, but actually it's very carefully done by the artist. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Gerrard's genius will only be appreciated in decades' time when a new generation of football fans <laughs> dig out his old work. Yeah. I always. I was I was saying the other day that I that I, I I think I could make a career as an abstract artist. I can certainly throw paint around, and I can probably talk people into believing that that I meant to do it in some kind of spiritual way. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I mean obviously we'll, we we I think we'll move move away from that game really, and uh, got other things <laughs> yeah. to discuss. But I mean it it was disappointing, and and I I think like you, I I felt you know with transfer deadline the day after. Um, it just looked really, really bad, and I'm, I'm at that point. I'm thinking, just spare Steven Gerrard the indignity of, of of what could potentially happen against Man City, and just even just to to, to breathe a bit of a bit of life into the the Villa crowd. But I mean, we didn't we didn't really need to uh, just to bring do Kevin McDonald in for the Man City game and uh, <laughs> <laughs> let him take care of it for a couple of games. That's right, absolutely, um, but. Transfer deadline day, as I, as I say, and there were already rumours um, after the Arsenal game. Stephen Gerrard had to um, talk about rumours that uh, Douglas Louise might be leaving the club. He's um, he's obviously got a, only a year left on his contract. Several clubs were interested. At- Atletico Madrid, I think Liverpool were mentioned, and of course, of course, Arsenal, who ended up making uh, reportedly making three bids. On deadline day, going from sort of twenty million up to about twenty-five million, I, I think, um, which Villa rejected all those offers, um, and apparently, obviously, that he's a player that Villa have wanted to sign up on a longer deal and have had offers on the table for a, a number of months now. Um, which, which Louise, there's been different different rumours that. Particularly more recently, that he might um, he might have an agreement in place, and we'll, we'll remains to be seen whether whether that might might happen now. Um, but he's staying at the club. Um, Villa managed to 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 last out until um, until eleven pm on Thursday, and uh, and they, they 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 kept the player. Um, are you glad he's staying though, Craig? Are you 
you know, is this it was this a chance to maybe sort of realise a bit of value on a on a on a player that we've we've spent money on? No, you know that I'm glad that he stayed. Um, I, you know, we all know, or if you don't know, let me tell you. I believe Douglas Luiz to be Aston Villa's best midfielder. I find it, um, I find it baffling, upsetting, even that he isn't first choice in that midfield alongside Kamara. The idea that you would pick John McGinn, particularly in out of form, John McGinn ahead of him, is irksome to me, to put it mildly. Uh, Ramsey is a young kid, but even so, um, Douglas Ruiz should be one of the first names on the team sheet, and I've been consistent on that forever. Um, I think Aston Villa are wise to, to, to keep him because of context, and I, I was speaking about this with, with a pal of mine who came over to watch the game. A shout out to Stephen if you're listening. Um, for Aston Villa, the, the context is really important. We're not comfortable in mid-table or pushing towards Europe as we all hope to be. We started this uh, transfer window in the relegation zone. Uh, with a real concern about where the next win's coming from. In that context, you do have concerns for your Premier League future. Whether those are founded or not, we'll, we'll, we'll see through the fullness of the season. But certainly as of right now, or I feel slightly better now actually after the Man City game, but as of the transfer window, the information we had available on that day, it felt like Villa were in relegation bother. And when you're in relegation bother, you have to weigh the £25 million. Bearing in mind, I believe we also have to give 15% of that to Man City. Uh, you weigh that against the potential £120 million that you get guaranteed from being a Premier League club the following season. And the maths just don't, you know, it's, it's no contest. Keeping your best midfielder around, again, that, that's my opinion. Not everyone will agree on that. For the run-in, and um, keeping him in the, in the building is going to be more important for Aston Villa this season, I think, than, than the £25 million because I believe that we need him to, or I did at least at that time believe that we needed him to stay in the league and um, I'm really delighted that he stayed. But having said that, I think Arsenal probably missed a trick there because I feel like maybe there would have been a deal to be done with Aston Villa had Arsenal come in a little bit sooner. But at that late in the window, we just have no opportunity, no opportunity to replace him for them to come in on the transfer deadline day with a bid for a key member of the first team squad there's just no time to replace him so I think Arsenal were on a hiding to nothing there anyway Yeah I think the report said uh, and I don't know how true they are that 30 to 40 million would have got the deal done and and that's a lot of money for Dougie Louise but I think he's worth every penny and I think Craig's bang on there he's our best midfielder which only makes it even more baffling that he hasn't started, that he didn't start against Arsenal when we needed to be surer and have someone winning second balls. And, I mean, at this point, we might look back on it. If I suspect he's going to leave for nothing now. I can't see him signing a contract with the, the level of club that's interested in him. And I think this will come back to haunt both Villa and, and Steven Gerrard because he's a great player who should have been locked down way sooner than he is now. And, and I don't blame him for not signing a contract when he's not starting week in, week out. But I think the most important bit of business Villa can do now to transfer window shut is, is do everything we can to keep Dougie locked down because he's, he's a great talent. He's still young. Big clubs are sniffing after him, and and he's been chronically mismanaged, unfortunately, in my view. Yeah, I mean, he has. In fairness, I think he has played the most games, the most Premier League games, other than Tyra Mings. I think. I think the most Premier League starts since we since we signed him. Um, Hasn't started the season yet, though. Until City had he. No, was it? that was his first start of the season. Yeah, I mean, he he has he started against Wolves. Yeah, yeah, he. he, he 
Not Wolves, West Ham. Until this season, I think I think maybe there has been some some issues about his his contract. The other thing is that effectively um, he was playing as a number six. He's got God, it must be getting on for a hundred appearances as a number six for Villa. That's where he's played most of the time, and of course we've replaced that position, haven't we, with with camera. So whether he whether that's just the natural order of things that you know in that in that shape in that system, he's 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 not a first choice. I think, like you guys, I feel that I feel that he should be for sure. I think the the midfield operates an awful lot better with him in the side. I thought he had a, a, a fantastic game against Man City. I thought he was really really good. Um, that little ball, um, and we'll talk about it in a in a bit when we mention uh, Ashley Young. But that that ball for for Watkins um, in the first half, where he just he just slid it through the eye of a needle, absolutely perfectly weighted pass for Watkins to get on and have a shot. I mean, that's probably the best ball since was it Callum Rowe uh, against Liverpool for Louis Barry. Um, in the in that in that cup match, which was again incredible, that defied the defied the laws of physics that that pass did, um, and this was a similar similar quality and just showed his 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 ability that he has. I think if anything, he hasn't maybe produced it as often as possible, as often as he could. Um, but I would say that that period between uh, restart and um, when we had the COVID close down. Um, you know, around that FA Cup match that I, I just mentioned, he was by far our best, probably our best player. He was an absolute revelation in the in the uh, in the number six um, position under Dean Smith, and uh, he's not always hit those heights since. Um, I think on the night I was a little bit annoyed that he that we kind of we hadn't taken taken it because I I sort of had that fact. Bouncing around my head about Benteke being the last player we sold for a profit, um, which is criminal. It's just no way to run a viable football business. I don't think. I think. I think things like that really need looking at, and we need to be able to 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 turn a profit on some of these players. That was an opportunity to do it, but like you say, Craig, the maths don't add up in that situation at that late in the in the in the window and. Having reflected on it, I'm I'm really pleased he stayed, and um, hopefully he'll be he'll be up for it. And I'm sure if any contract is on the off is is on the table now, there will be a a reasonable release clause in there because I, I can't see him signing otherwise. Yeah, and 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 the point there, um, um, and to, to to pick up on something said a moment ago, is why would he sign a new deal? I don't think he's been used how he wants to be used. I think that T was used as a number six when he is intimated at least through 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 representatives or whatever that he wants to be a number eight he's been played out of position for the bulk of his of his run run in 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 the team and then finally we get the number six to help him out who can come in and um and and he's dropped to the bench for two midfielders who have not really been performing and um it's really difficult to see why you would sign in, in, in that circumstance it is I do wonder what happened there if 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 the if, I think it was Percy who reported that Douglas Louise was very close to signing so was it that 
he was not being picked and he was like, well, forget this. If you're not going to commit to me, I'm not going to commit to you. Do we have something similar to the Carney situation? And I guess the difference here is with, with, with Carney and Douglas Luiz, Douglas Luiz is an established international footballer, a, a Brazilian gold medalist. And as you say, Andy, the second highest uh, Premier League performance, uh, a, a second highest Premier League appearance maker for Aston Villa after Tyrone Ming sinks our promotion from the championship. So, And also this is a manager who's been struggling. So surely you'd want to put your best players on the pitch. But now it looks like with the likes of Atletico Madrid circling, the likes of Arsenal circling, it, it does look like it's only going to go one way for Douglas Luiz. And that is and that is up. And I did say a long, long time ago, when Douglas Luiz leaves, he'll be going to a Champions League club. I think I offered £100 out to say that Douglas Luiz would play, play Champions League football before Aston Villa will. And it seems like... Maybe I might have been right, guys. Yeah, I think I think that's a dead sir to Craig, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Yeah, I think the the other thing that I would say about about Douglas Louise though is that it's one of those situations I think where so that there's a lack of appreciation sometimes for the players that are that are that are there, and I I tweeted something earlier in the summer saying if you had the opportunity to sign a a 24 year old Brazilian international with a hundred Premier League games under his belt, um, you know, would you would you would you do it sort of thing? And that that's what we've got in in Douglas Luiz. Yet all the talk all summer has been about us signing a number eight, you know, Telemans or. Gallagher and all these, you know, ridiculous targets probably being being thrown around, and maybe maybe the the answer is, is has been there, you know, all the time for that position. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting now to see to see what happens. You know, I, I'd be very surprised if he signed a contract, but at the same time, he can secure his 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 move away if he wants to by by putting his release clause in. And, um, and making it possible and you know it'll j- just mean that Villa gets to protect a bit of value in him I suppose but whether he'll do it or not I don't know and he's been resistant up to now but it's not like he's one of those players where you know he's he, you could call him a contract rebel <laughs> and all the rest of it but he doesn't behave like one he puts it he put he, he puts a shift in every every time he plays he looks really happy I thought all summer he looked he looked really relaxed, really chilled. I thought this he's definitely going to sign a contract because he looks so at home. Um, but maybe he just got wind of a bit of interest and thought, well, I'll I'll see how this plays out. Here's the thing as well, though. You say he's, you talk about him being a six, and we've had this debate a ton of times. He's played over a hundred games as a six. He's not a six, and I think he showed that against City. He's he's a fantastic box to box midfielder. He can pass the ball. He's physical. He can win those second balls. He's much much better than John McGinn, who seems undroppable despite two horrific performances this week. And he's much more the kind of player I'd like to build a team around. But, but under one final thing on the transfer from me, fair play to the owners for saying no to that kind of money. There's been some some nonsense flying around online recently that they haven't committed enough to the club in terms of resources and signings. But but turning down bids like that for a player will go for free in nine months' time just shows you how committed they are to the club and, and what they're willing to do, even if the maths does make sense from a Premier League survival perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all that being said, we did sign two new players on, uh, on yeah. transfer deadline day. Who needs Douglas <laughs> Louise when you've got Bednarek? <laughs> That's right. Finally, um, 
Jan Bednarek, who had been the uh, the stalking horse for the uh, Villa ITKs um, for a number of years. Now, finally, he he did join the club, and um, he didn't. He's ITK Andy called us about four weeks ago <laughs> as well. You said as soon as Diego Carlos got injured, you said that Bednarek would be in. Maybe you'd spotted him in a Sainsbury's somewhere and knew something the rest of us didn't. But yeah, I, I had no knowledge other than I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> If he did, and um, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 played out, and he's he's signed on loan from Southampton till till the end of the season. Obviously, Polish international centre back, and he's really brought been brought in to to cover um, the unfortunate loss of uh, Diego Carlos to to injury. So, I think it's a it seems a solid signing. Um, also, um, Leandro Dead. Can't say that. Dendonkers has, has come in um, from Wolves for thirteen million. Um, they scoured Europe for uh, for a, a, a new midfielder and ended up buying someone from ten miles down the road. Um, <laughs> but again, Belgian international defensive midfielder can play centre half. I think he's played centre half in a back three for for Wolves and for Belgium. Um, so quite an interesting day really certainly a a certain type of profile they they were going for here i think uh, a bit of height and a bit of a bit of nastiness maybe um but where do you see these players um fitting in in terms of the squad um and uh, you know could this perhaps signal a a, a system change craig I would like to think so. Uh, I really liked the, um, the the system for 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 Man City, as we'll talk about in a minute. I think that uh, I said on, on Twitter, and I'll, I'll I'll echo those sentiments here. Uh, Dendonka and Bednarek are not sexy. They're not they're not flashy. They are like a comfy pair of slippers um, that you're going to get uh, to 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 walk around the house in this this uh, this this winter. And I think it's going to be good for us to have those two players with with deep Premier League experience. Two players that you hope have a low adaptation risk. Dendonka in particular won't even need to move house. Presumably he'll be he'll be fine. You know, I don't know if he has kids or whatever, but he he won't need to do anything. He can probably still do the school run after training. So for someone like Dendonka to come in uh, to be an international for Belgium is no mean feat. By the way, they are they are an impressive international outfit with a lot of quality. And again, it isn't always the signings that, that set the pulses racing the signings that have set our pulses racing like Danny Ings and, and Coutinho in recent times for big money at least in wages if not transfer fees in Coutinho's case haven't really set our pulses racing too much on the pitch so having us a little having a little a, a couple of, 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 of solid Premier League acquisitions like this should be what we need and it's just the kind of thing that will stave off a relegation battle which is obviously not what we want to be thinking about, but unfortunately that's kind of where we are with three wins in 17. Three wins in 17 is relegation form, and that's that's what Villa have, so it just kind of is what it is, right? Yeah, I don't know about a pair of slippers. I'd rather go steel toe-capped work boots with these two. They feel <laughs> sturdy, but they got a little bit of bite to them there and a bit of protection. I think Bednarek is, is just a smart bit of business. We needed a centre-back. We've got one in on loan. It's a try before you buy. If he doesn't work out, not a problem. Diego Carlos comes back. If he suddenly is fantastic, you'd hope we've got an option to buy in there. But I think Dendonka's a fantastic sign-in at the price, too. He's the kind of player we should have been looking at all summer. He's physical, he's press-resistant, he's tall, which we've needed for a long time. 
And as Craig said, I think in this this new pragmatic Stevie G system, which will probably tear up against Leicester knowing Stevie G, but having him alongside Kamara in there, I think transforms our midfield, makes us a very difficult side to play against. And I actually think he might take the Kamara role when we see Kamara move slightly wider as that kind of Dougie Louise roll out wide, because I think he could quite easily drop in between the two centre-backs when we're in possession, because like you say, he's played it before. But a fantastic pickup. I mean, Wolves made a million pounds profit on him and, and he's got, what, three, four years worth of Premier League experience under him. But but just one one slight caveat to it is it, it worryingly shows us that Wolves, how much further Wolves are ahead of us in their Premier League journey there. You know, I know they've got a slightly different transfer policy and in fact, they've just got a Portuguese agent's phone number, but they're buying top draw midfielders, top draw players across the park and, and selling us their cast off. So um, it's a very good cast off who improves our team. But, but it does make me cast envious glances to a team that are, are doing better business than us, in my opinion. You could say that. I would say that maybe it's to do with it's more to do with the the the, the type of the type of um, manager, perhaps that they have, and what they need as opposed to what we need. I think if Nuno's still at Wolves, I don't think that he lets him out the door. But I think certainly, and I mean it might be to do with his contract as well, but. He's perhaps not been playing um, so much under under the the current manager, and you know he's he's you know it suits it suits everyone to to make that move, and it's what Villa need more than perhaps what Wolves need based on based on the you know the the, the deficiencies in in either squad. Um, so I'm I'm really happy with it. I, I'm, he's a player that. I, you know, I was a little bit envious of Wolves, Wolves having, to be honest with you, that type of player. And, um, you know, I know it seems that these players seem to have to go through another club before they get to us. And I do wonder why why, why yeah. that we can't just go and get a player like, like that from the same place that Wolves signed them or Brentford signed them or Brighton signed them. Because, I, I, yeah. you know, we've we've got the same... We've got the same kind of structures, so why why do they have to come and play in the Premier League first before we we spot them? It's, yeah, someone like Norgard, I think we flagged yeah. up last year. Again, he was playing in Serie A. Is not some kind of Lithuanian third division, and 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 Brentford go pick him up for a song. You know, like Sibisuma who come in for Brighton. Brighton have another one now, Sasedo, who's just flying. So it, it does seem like we we miss a trick. We we seem really unable to get. <laughs> To get it right in terms of this European scouting, probably since, I mean, Benteke, yeah. as you already mentioned, it's probably the last time that we went and got someone who was somewhat unknown in this country and um, turned him into a major star. Whereas all the other mid-table teams, and I include uh, West Ham in that, picking up Sushek for, for for a bag of port scratchings, everyone seems to be doing it around us, in and around us, other than us. Um, Onana for Everton looks like a, look, looks like an incredible talent as well. It seems like, I mean, maybe that's just me, maybe that's just Villa fan bias, but it does seem everyone else is able to do this without 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 having to go through, uh, as I say, without having to go and buy them from a Premier League rival. So I don't know what McKenzie's doing and Langer are doing, but um, yeah, 
I don't understand. I it. do agree. I mean, it's I mean, partly Gerald is seems obsessed with big name players as well, which I think is part of the problem. We've we've shifted gears transfer wise, but I always wonder, even if it's different owners, different recruitment. If as a club we've been burnt by that relegation season, if you look at the players we signed, we almost did what what Brighton and and kind of Brentford do now, and we went and picked up. You know, Jordan Ayew and Vertu and Idrissa Garnagay and, and all of those players who have blossomed into great players. I mean, they've all... I mean, Gay went to Paris Saint-Germain who's back at Everton. Jordan Ayew's still playing for Crystal Palace. Vertu played for Roma, didn't he, and maybe still is. And we, we brought all of these bright players. I mean, Adama Traore, who's Adama Traore. But we, we brought all these bright prospects, but just probably brought too many of them at once and didn't mix them with with players who could do the job. And, and I wonder if that was our... We tried it, we didn't like it, and we've gone back to it. It's like going to a curry house and trying a different order to your usual. We, we tried it once, didn't work out too well, so we've just gone back to the old familiar of, of paying over the odds to, to other teams who've discovered the talent for us. It was definitely more of a... It's that 90s, early 2000s thing, isn't it, where you sign players from from other Premier League teams or players you know. There's, there was, you know, around certainly at Villa, you know, generally speaking, we 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 wouldn't be picking up sort of rough diamonds. We'd be we'd be buying the uh, finished article a lot of the time, and it's a strange thing because it's what the top clubs do. Quite often, mm-hmm. you mentioned Basuma, like Tot- Tottenham have obviously seen him at Brighton for for a couple of years and thought. Yeah, he, he he does the job in the Premier League that we would want him to do. So they go they go and get him, but they wouldn't have necessarily sort of t- taken a punt on on him initially. But but we're not in that category. We're in the bottom half of the league, but we're behaving like a like like Man United or or Arsenal in the in the transfer market to some degree. Obviously, not in the the level of players we're signing, but certainly in the way we do it and the way we do our business, which. Um, you know, it's a it's a little bit strange, and I would like to see us being a little bit a little bit cleverer. I think in the in the transfer market. Um, but just a quick question: I mean, how how would you overall? Obviously, the the transfer we started very early this this year. Um, in fact, the first I think the first day after the after the last game of the season, we brought Kamara in. So, how 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 do you guys rate the uh, the business we've done this summer? I feel like there's the, the transfer window is split into two sections. The section when the board believed in Gerard, and the section where the board had their doubts about Gerard after after some some questionable things going on in and around the club, the alleged ostracization of certain favourite beautiful baby boys and other first team players sent to train and eat with the kids and stuff like that may have soured the uh the uh the 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 well somewhat and the the results so my interpretation of events and this is not me being in the know andy i don't know this to be factual this is just my interpretation my opinion is that the 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 powers that be had doubts about gerard and i think turned off the tap a little bit on him and um, said he could have no more big signings until he demonstrated that he could get a little bit more out of what he has in the building so i think bearing that in mind the, the, the players that he's been given in terms of uh, Kamara is is really a top, top signing. I think we'll do well to hold on to him if we carry on going how we are next season, dare I say. 
Uh, he Speaking of release clauses uh, in Douglas Louise's contract, I wonder if uh, Kamara's people slid a sneaky release clause in there as well to get him out into a Champions League club before long. Anyway, let's not let's not be a prophet of doom with that. Kamara, uh, Coutinho on, on, a, on, a, on a permanent at the £17 million, you, you had to take a punt on it. As it stands, yes, we're only six games in. Don't throw your uh, Bluetooth speaker out the window. As it stands, the Coutinho deal looks like a poor deal for Aston Villa at this moment. It can change. It can change. It's only six games. It's only six games. And uh, Diogo Carlos is just unlucky. I think you can't really legislate for that kind of thing. Um, and the, 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 two, the two chaps we just mentioned there in... Um, in Bednarik and, uh, and and Dendonka, I think, help solidify us and help raise the physical profile of the team, which I think is something that's been lacking for a while. So overall, I think it's been a decent transfer window and um, and we, we've plugged those gaps that we needed. We now have two number sixes in the likes of uh, Dendonka and Kamara when we really needed one. We don't really have the number eight that we wanted, but maybe Douglas Louise is that number eight after all. And... Um, and the defense has been reinforced. Certainly, if Diego Carlos can be back, you know, after not too long after the World Cup, we could see a strong close to the season with those uh, defensive reinforcements as well. Yeah, I think Craig's bang on to say it, it felt like a transfer window of two halves, and I, I do wonder if the the Dendonka signing in particular doesn't feel for some reason like a Gerard signing. I wonder if if that was a board signing, and and the whole thing with Saar as well, which is very confusing, very odd. The comments that have come out by that and. And whilst people like Carlos and Kamara are great, great signings, the one thing I would say is if you look at our squad now, we're even more unbalanced than the start of the summer. We've, we're down to one wide player, about 27,000 central midfielders, three and a bit centre-backs, Ashley Young as right-back cover and Freddie Gilbert eating with the kids and still can't find a club, bless him. And Morgan Sanson, God knows what he's doing, making the tea at Body Heath. So we're, it's a bad transfer window in the fact that we just couldn't ship players out for a profit. We couldn't even ship them out for a transfer fee. I mean, letting El Ghazi go for three-odd million is criminal in my mind. He should have, should have stayed on the bench. But I, I do worry that that we've had we've brought in some good players we haven't shipped on players to balance the books and and we look like a very odd bloated unbalanced squad still in my mind and I think we're missing a few few players in positions and, and maybe missing a director of football who can sell players I don't know the Turkish window is still open Dan <laughs> so um, Morgan, Morgan and Freddie will be Mar- hopeful of something Morgan Marvellous and Freddie sounds like a boy band that does <laughs> And up now is Morgan, Marvelous, and Freddie singing "I Want You Back." All right, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, but these are th- these are things. I want to move to Turkey. <laughs> I mean, the Camber's another interesting one, isn't he? Because certainly, you know, in the early games under Gerard, he was he was absolutely vital um, in that midfield. You know, held things together to to some degree. Um, obviously, you know. He's he's not on, on the level that that Kamara and Dendonka are perhaps, but he's, you know, I think he's a, a little bit unlucky to be to be completely out out the side. Irug um, Boonham going to QPR, I think, is a is a really a really good move for everyone. I think I think he'll do well there and come back a better player. So, yeah, and uh, you know, I I still I still have a, have big hopes for uh, Philip Coutinho, but I think just now. He needs um, he needs to be out the side and you know and and um, so we can we can try and uh, get some stability going and of course that 
that started at home um, to Man City on, on Saturday evening. Um, it was a game I think none of us um, had too much hope. Me and Craig had had, had difficulty predicting this one uh, last week uh, without sounding like prophets of doom. I think I went for nil-nil, though. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that prediction. But it was more more hope than, than anything else. Um, but the team selection was interesting. Obviously, Douglas Louise came in for, for Buendia and... That meant meant that it looked like Jacob Ramsey had kind of shifted forward into the into the front three, and the answer of uh, who should play out of Coutinho and Buendia has finally been answered, and that's uh, neither of them, um, and they were both on the bench. Uh, Dendonka was was unwell, so he was he was out the side, and Bednarek obviously had his first um, Villa Villa match day on the bench as well. Um, team, what, what what did you make of it? But quite an interesting sort of lineup, and it looked like they were planning to go a bit more vertical in this one. I had no idea what it was. I thought there, I thought there was a misprint. Um, the team came up in 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 the US. Uh, our, our coverage here on NBC Sports um, had McGinn playing as a number ten. I was like, well, that's not right, unless Gerard's really lost lost it. And it wasn't. It was it was it was a kind of. It was a kind of weird four-four, kind of a narrow four-four-two. Then at times it was four-three-three with with Ramsey playing, uh, uh, as you say, as a left-sided forward, uh, and then a kind of double pivot with 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 Louise and and Kamara and McGinn kind of. Um, um, I would doing a lot in front of them, but it was um, it was what it was was far more solid. Now something happened <laughs> in between. Gerard's post-match interview post-Arsenal and his tactics and post-match interview post the Man City game. Gerard doubled down on his on his crazy bonkers formation after the Arsenal game and said, "Well, this is the way I play." You know, a, a, an approximation of that. And then after the Man City game, he finally conceded. Yeah, we had to change things. We might have to sacrifice some attacking flair. Yada yada yada. So I'm wondering what happened in that interim did someone did he have an epiphany did he wake up in a cold sweat one night and realize this isn't working did or did someone you know did was it perslow intervene did jamie carragher give him a call did michael beale you know get on the bus up there was it rafa his old mate who someone told gerard you need to change mate or your goose is cooked and i'm all for it because the changes worked we were so much more solid. We were harder to beat. And with the talent that we have in forward positions, both on the bench and in attack, and we saw from Leon Bailey and Ramsey, it only takes a moment for Aston Villa to score a goal because we have really good forward players. So if we can just be solid moving forward like we were in this Man City game, then we can, we can, we can do well. And Gerard can save himself. So really pleased with the team, really pleased with the shape and really pleased with the result. Yeah, I tell you what, what kind of motivated him. Someone dangled his P forty five in front of him. I think as well as uh, it's, he said in the post match comments that he'd had a good hard look at himself and decided to change things. And and well, maybe it's paraphrasing man in the mirror, but who knows? It, it's it's 
It's about time is all I can say. We've been crying out for this kind of team selection for weeks, if not months, for him to to go a bit more solid, to not play Ramsey and McGinn in the same midfield three, which we learnt didn't work about six months ago, to maybe try Jacob Ramsey in a more forward position because it gets the best out of him, which, again, we've been saying on this pod for a long time. And finally, that seemed to click, I think, when his job was on the line. And surprise, surprise, it made us a, a stronger outfit overall. Sure, we we sacrificed some individuals, but we, we became, you know, a, a team that was better than the sum of its parts rather than the other way around. I think the challenge now for Gerard is, is does he stick with it? Because he absolutely should. The only way to progress up this lady is to make yourself hard, hard to beat, first and foremost. And if he throws this out the window against Leicester and reverts to his madcap two runners, flying fullbacks, two tens nonsense, then then I'm absolutely done with him. But if he manages to swallow a bit of his pride and thinks, do you know what? This this kind of 4-3-3 three, three that can, as Craig says, can be fluid and adapt and Jacob Ramsey can drop in the midfield or push wide. If he sticks with this, then we're actually on to something because... You know, in Watkins and Bailey, we've always got a threat going forwards. In in John McGinn, we have a player who should be dropped. And and in Jacob Ramsey, we've got a guy who can run run the ball from anywhere on the pitch, it seems. So, yeah, it's about time Gerard put his players in a position where they can succeed. Because I think our biggest problem for the last six months has been crazy-ass tactics that, that put players in a position where they're set up to fail. It did feel like everyone was happier where they were and the job they were having to do. Um, and I thought, obviously, Luca Dean, I thought, had a much better game. Mm-hmm. He just looked he just looked more, you know, it, it, the structure suited him better. He knew what his job was. I mean, he, you know, there was obviously the goal where, you know, he perhaps could have got, got to the cross a bit quicker. But, I mean, uh, you know, it was pure class, really, from, from De Bruyne as, at, at the same time. So, but... I think that went through the team and I mean I didn't think McGinn was as bad as all that but there's certainly better performances from even Camera was looked looked much more comfortable having having Douglas Louise alongside him. I thought Louise had one of his best games in a, in a, in an awfully long time. I thought he was he was so influential. Um and of course our man uh, Ashley Young who came on early for for Matty Cash and just I mean we talk about rolling back the years I mean it was it was it was ridiculous this was by far his his best performance in in a Villa shirt since he came back um bit bit harsh to judge him on his previous um his previous spell at Villa um obviously but he was I thought he was he was absolutely outstanding and he really kind of set the tone when he came on I thought Cash looked like he was going to struggle against Foden but Ashley Young just had him had him in his back pocket. I thought the whole game and um, really set the tone. Like I say, and there was that move in the first half where he just outpaced De Bruyne, took the ball off him cleanly, and and, and started an attack. Which which Louise two, it was two passes and we were in on goal and just absolute absolutely brilliant. And it was it was a a, a snapshot of how I want to see Villa play. You know. Strong defence and 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 quick on the break, and that was that was absolutely superb, and I I, I loved it. But what 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 about Ashley Young? Because he's obviously going to probably have a few games now if Matty Cash is out. So you know, is this is this um, can he can he carry it on, Craig? Freddie Gilbert's plane was on the runway 
when he saw he, 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 he spat out his ready break and when he saw Matt Cash's injury he ran back to Bollymore Heath he's ready to challenge Ashley Young I'm only joking um, yeah Ashley Young was incredible and actually um, where Matty Cash really is wonderful defensively that we know that he has limitations in terms of distribution and certainly his crossing as we know does jeopardise uh, avian uh, life everywhere so <laughs> the difference with Ashley Young was Ashley Young was able to make really nice progressive passes and obviously Ash- Ashley Young is um, is just um, he's just better at that than Matty Cash. I, I was trying to find a nice way to say it. There, there isn't, I mean, it, it just is what it is. Uh, Matty Cash is a, is a, is a kind of a blood and thunder meat and potatoes defender who is, who, who is working judiciously on his forward play. Whereas Ashley Young was for a time period at Aston Villa, one of the very best uh, uh, forwards in the, the whole of the Premier League, signed for a large fee by Manchester United, went on to win the league with them, won the league with Inter Milan, yada, yada, yada. You know, he's had a massive career, that the likes of which Matty Cash will do well to replicate. So it's probably not that outrageous for me to say Ashley Young's a better footballer than Matty Cash, but he is. And having that better footballer on the right-hand side was really, really useful. But what really impressed me with, with Ashley Young, as others have mentioned, is just his hunger, his determination, the gamesmanship, the uh, S-housery that he, he gets involved in, and also the leadership. It, it seemed like we have a steady hand on the tiller. Uh, Matty Cash can be a little bit frantic, a little bit... Um, a little bit of a uh, uh, um, uh, what's that little uh, little meerkat ish in terms of his demeanor on the field, whereas Ashley Young obviously seasoned pro, and I think it really benefited the other the other the other members of the back four to have Ashley Young as part of it. And um, the question will be, uh, obviously, with Ashley Young, can he sustain that? Can he replicate that consistently week in and week out at his age? Um, because if he can, then he should carry on as the right back for me dare I say I, I was spitting feathers on the uh, under a gaslight lamp uh, whatsapp group when, when Ashley Young came on and not Callum Chambers and, and now I've got some humble pie to eat because he was fantastic and I think Craig makes a really good point there and that's the leadership side of things you watch Ashley Young when he's on the pitch and he's talking constantly he's talking to players around him he's talking well, talking to the referees talking to the opposition but he, he has that communication and I thought that then bled throughout the team there was an interesting bit as we came out for the second half where Ollie Watkins and Leon Bailey were deep in conversation clearly about what their movement should look like and hat tip to Ollie Watkins by the way as well who I thought had a phenomenal game as a lone striker but that's what Ashley Young did he, he made the players talk to each other he made them work for each other both by example and and for his leadership and I mean he's 37 he looks like he's not lost a step I mean he, he's that fit at 37 and I thought when Coutinho came on he was blowing a bit after 20 minutes and he's seven years his junior so I think you know even if he's not our right back for the next few games we should make Ashley Young fitness coach for the for the next few games because because the guy's clearly looking after himself and uh, possibly our man of the match I mean it's between him and Ollie Watkins for me and, and maybe even Tyro Mings who you know another hat tip for a man who had a lot of S-housery with, with Erling Haaland and I thoroughly enjoyed that throughout the game He was great Mings I thought Mings and Konza between them did a really good job on Haaland and I know he had he obviously scored and he had one or two chances but you'd expect that I mean I thought they certainly um, they certainly matched him in the in the battle 
And uh, that was really, really positive. I thought, you know, Mings and, and Concer had, had really good games. Um, and of course, you know, the, I mean, the back four, Martinez made some good saves again. I mean, and he was he was um, getting the crowd going at the end. Loved well. that from Emmy at the end, <laughs> fist pumping everything nice. towards it. <laughs> yeah, which would have looked a bit silly if he conceded late on. But um, still, you know, that's what you want, isn't it? You want players that, 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 that get that reaction. Um you know, from the stands because it was it, the atmosphere was was excellent really throughout the game. I think the, the the fans really responded to to the effort and 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 the quality of, of Villa's performance. Um, and of course, it all. I mean, the the place went absolutely berserk when um, when uh, when Villa equalised. I'm I'm going to make a decision here and and I'm going to gloss over the Haaland goal because I listened to the um, Football Weekly podcast earlier and. Uh, they were asking. They, they were trying to talk about Villa, and the panel were just answering those questions with stuff about Haaland. So I'm not going to talk about him. <laughs> I'm going to talk about. Can we talk, I'm going can to we talk, talk about, about how he he looks like a Norse god. He literally <laughs> could be in a Marvel movie. He is ridiculous. What a soup. What what a specimen. I know we're not talking he about looks him. Like Brock Lesnar. He's ridiculous. What a specimen. <laughs> My goodness. It was a great ding-dong yeah. battle with, with Mings, and I think Mings got... Yeah. Mings, put it this way. Yes, he scored, but that wasn't on Mings. He uh, lost someone who we won't name at the back post. But the bottom line is that um, Mings did as well as any Premier League defenders really done this season with, with Haaland, for me. So credit yeah, credit to Tyrone. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. Um but Villa equalised. Villa got back in the game, and it was a, a, a probably the t- two of the um, two of the pace men. Really, it was obviously Jacob Ramsey on, on one side. Um, just put a nice little pass in, and, and Bailey uh, swung that left boot at it, and it, it nearly took the took the net off. Um, similar to uh, to what he did against Everton. I think he, his hamstring is still <laughs> intact, though, which is which is which is good news. Um, excellent goal. The place went nuts. What did you make of this? Well, I'm glad he didn't break himself this time. Um, he did a knee slide, which went wrong, and then he, he kind of ended up in a heap, but it was absolutely fine. Um, it was just a wonderful, it was a wonderful move. Um, Ramsey had, I believe, a one-on-one opportunity earlier, mm. and um, he's clearly been watching too much of Ollie Watkins' first touch in those positions because he did exactly <laughs> the same thing. Took Takes a bad first touch and the, the opportunity's gone. But we know that Jacob Ramsey's, USP his his major skill is running with the ball he's almost runs faster with the ball than we at without when he's in full flow he's really hard to stop and he was in full flow and, and the Man City back line were back pulling they couldn't deal with him and not only that to be moving at full speed to be able to check back and, and then lay a, a, a beautiful beautiful ball to have the composure to do that lay it along the grass and then Bailey with, with the incredible finish that is what you can do with our forward players which is why it's 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 pleasing to see Gerard playing in a more robust way against Manchester City and I hope that we have that moving forward because with Bailey with Watkins with Buendia Coutinho Ings even whichever combination of those forward players that he chooses to use moving forward Steven Gerrard we though all of those players are, are, are able to create moments that other players cannot so it was a beautiful move it was a beautiful goal and although, yes, it was against the, the, the run of play, it wasn't the first chance we created. Again, Jacob Ramsey had that. 
had that uh, chance. Coutinho also had the, the ball in the net controversially later on. So it was no less than Villa deserved. And I, I, I love to see it. I love that kind of goal. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, Jacob Ramsey was superb. And you're right, he should have should have had a goal. He made that one-on-one himself. Although that said, Ollie Watkins timed his pass to perfection. Yeah, um, yeah really good. So really good, good from pass. Ollie Watkins. And he was like that all, all afternoon. But I thought Jacob Ramsey to have the mentality to come back from that really disappointing moment and put through a perfect pass. And I mean, a word Craig used there, combinations, is, is what's most important. We created an opportunity for our players to combine. Normally, we've got you know Ramsey's on the left he's bumping into Luca Dean he's bumping into Coutinho's who's playing out on the left and, and they're all on each other's toes and there's not enough space for them to run into by having Ramsey slightly more advanced there's space for him he can make those long bursting runs and, and get to the edge of the boss, box and lay it off to, to Leon Bailey who I thought again had a great afternoon for us and, and had a good afternoon because of his perseverance he, he was a good out ball for us but he never quite got his shot away or never quite got cross away but he kept plugging at it and he was involved in in almost everything going forwards and it was a thunderous finish it kind of caught me as I was surprised because he struck it so well and and I went a little bit nuts on my own in my living room just because it's it's good to see a good move going forwards it was planned there was combination and and we got the best out of our players and that's all we've been asking the manager to do to get the best out of the players he has and and the irony is I think we've got to drop a couple of our best players in order to give our most effective players the space they need to, to perform like that. Yeah, I think that's it. I think I, I kind of thought that um, for this game we we might leave Coutinho and and Buendia out and um, maybe push Ramsey further forward. There's a, there's a hint of this. Um, it feels similar to to our first season in the Premier League when Grealish started as an eight and it just wasn't working again alongside John McGinn. It just wasn't really working and Dean Smith realised that you can move a player like that further forward into the forward line and get, he, he can he can still have a similar influence on the game and then you can have have something a bit more solid behind him and it worked really well then and I think if Gerrard's got any sense he'll he'll continue to do that with Ramsey now and if that means leaving Buendia and Coutinho on the sidelines for most of the game then that's that's how it has to be. I think the pace works really well um, down either side. Obviously, Bailey Bailey has to have a run in the side now. There's no no question for me. He's by far our most dangerous player, and um, I just think Ramsey Ramsey has done enough on that on that on that other side. You know, in that position to to carry on, and I guess they'll they'll move around with the shape and different midfielders will, will come in and out the side but I think I think that front three going forward that's that's what we need to stick with for now I think I think that's the most effective um, effective uh, thing but it was a it was a fantastic goal um, and like I say it went it was very loud <laughs> when it went in it was it was lovely and it was great to great to sit here that that type of atmosphere again in the whole end uh, it's been missing for a while. Just to jump on that uh, uh, that point quickly, Carragher I saw had a pop at the Villa fans for not cheering Gerard as as Lampard was being cheered in the uh, in the Telegraph I think earlier this week. So I think uh, there was uh, Stephen Gerrard's Clarence Blue Army chance broke out in the first 10 minutes at Villa Park so that was pleasing to see just to nip that in the bud because uh, we've heard that script before haven't we? Oh they never gave me a chance it's because I was from X Club no 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 
the Villa fans of 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 you give the Villa fans a little bit, and we'll give you we'll give you our heart. No, that's it. Absolutely. You know? No, sorry, and, carry on. And you're right. And he was criticised heavily for not clapping the away fans at Arsenal. And I don't know when managers started started doing this. Um, really, generally they shake hands and walk down the tunnel. In my memory, I don't know, but apparently now they have to traipse over the pitch and clap the uh, the baying mob who um, who want them sacked. Um, and uh, but he came up after the game and and um, and 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 got a good, really good reception from the whole end. Um, Jack, Jack Grealish got a slightly uh, slightly more mixed reception <laughs> from the whole end, but a few claps and so on. I don't know why he feels the need to do it anymore. He he likes to be the last one in front of the whole end. He always that was always his thing when he played for us, and he he tried to do it again, but. Emmy Martinez hung back and um, and went up after him, so uh, that was quite nice to see as well. But um, yeah, it's another. It's a sorry state in there. Not to you know, we said we wouldn't talk about Jack Grealish anymore, but second <laughs> time he's come back to Villa Park and second time he's he's barely had a kick of the ball. I mean, his his decisions are looking more and more ludicrous with with every kind of few months that goes by. I, I can't see him getting into the England team now, let alone the City team as well. So it's it's sad to see him come back after that big transfer that broke a lot of people's hearts and just not play. And it doesn't look like he's going to play for them either. And it's, um, I wonder if he, you know, when he's in his mansion in, in the Manchester suburbs of an evening counting his money, whether he, he regrets his decision at all. Probably, probably not, not, to be fair. I mean, I probably, probably wouldn't. Probably not, but. and I'm sure he'll uh, he'll come back at some point. But um, we'll see, we'll see. But we'll, we'll it's a, obviously a great point um, for 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 Steven Gerrard, and we move on to uh, to Leicester away. Um, this one uh, is Saturday three o'clock. Um, it's been dubbed El Sakiko, I believe, as uh, Steven Gerrard comes up against um, against Brendan Rodgers, who is absolutely on the brink. I'd be I think I'd be surprised um, if he hasn't been sacked by the time this podcast goes out. Actually, so if he if he has, then apologies to the listeners. But um, obviously, they're coming off the back of, of a terrible start to the season and the latest sort of five two defeat um, away at Brighton at the weekend. Talk of obviously financial issues at Leicester um, preventing them from from investing too much in the team. Having said that, they obviously still have an awful lot of quality with uh, Jamie Vardy, Madison, Barnes, Ndidi, etc. Tielemans, who we mentioned earlier. Um, and they'll be targeting this game for, for, for sure to get their season uh, kick-started, um, without a doubt. Um, Gerard should have Dendonka available, you'd have thought, after, after his illness. Um, although probably Matty Cash um, looks like he might miss a few weeks with the, the hamstring injury. How do you feel about this one, Craig? Any any kind of changes to the system? Is this is this one a bit of a worry for you? This game? And uh, no, it shouldn't be. Um, they, they, that I watched Leicester against Brighton. They've got they've they've gone and hired themselves a Mark Bonregen to put in goal. <laughs> the guy's awful. Absolutely sends shivers down the defender's spine. And they, they do have some good players, but that guy is is uh, look. You you try your luck against that guy. We know what it is. At Aston Villa has Aston. Villa. No no offense, Mark, but I understand he's a very nice man, but god awful goalkeeper, particularly at Premier League level and Championship level for that matter. We've had a few, uh, you know, Nyland. Anyway, Kalinic. 
So <laughs> Guzan had a, a, a horrible season. Anyway, so we know what it is. When your goalkeeper isn't quite right, it sends shockwaves through your whole defence and can have reverberations through your whole team. So uh, Villa will fancy their chances of scoring. Uh, Brighton were were, were 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 good for their their win the, the other the other night. Lucky not to un, unlucky with an, an offside call not to get a six two. Leicester are an absolute free fall and. Um, it seems like Roger's days are numbered, but let's not think that Gerard is completely out of out of out of, <laughs> out of the danger zone yet. It has been dubbed El Sakako for a reason. Gerard's run is still absolutely god awful. We are still only three wins in seventeen games, which is difficult to even fathom. And um, Gerard needs points here. I think Gerard still isn't off the hook either. So this is a good opportunity to go and exploit a team who are struggling the way we failed to exploit the West Ham team who are struggling. I would go same again, lads. I would keep the exactly the same 11, barring Matty Cash for Ashley Young, obviously, due to the injury. And keep it, just keep it tight. Keep it tight. Let Leicester labour. And Leicester are going to give you some chances with this ropey goalkeeper, this ropey defence. Um, I think defence is is Gerard's best form of attack because if we can just start keeping clean sheets or a clean sheet, <laughs> God forbid, I think that we do have the players both in the team and on the bench to score a goal or two against this uh, ragtag Leicester side and take all three points. I think this game's pivotal for Gerard. absolutely pivotal. He needs to show that he's learnt the lessons from that City game to carry on to Leicester, and it's must-win. I was joking on the pod before we recorded that even a stop clock is, is right twice a day, and, and, and I worry that that's the case, that the City game is the exception rather than the new rule for Gerard. And I actually think we line up pretty well against City tactically, the way we clogged the middle, but we absolutely have to beat Leicester, and I think we absolutely have to beat Southampton too to to kickstart our season, really. There's already a bit of a gap developing between us and the top half if we have any aspirations of of improving on, on the success, continuous success, or however Perslow put it when he sacked Dino, uh, then we've got to win the next two games. And I think Craig's right, the way we do that is make us hard to beat. I would make changes. John McGinn has got to go for me. It's This is why I didn't want him made captain. He's been awful. I think he was our weakest player on the weekend. I'd probably drop Ramsey back into his slot and, and maybe stop Wendia there. Or if you, if you want to put in Dendonka and, and have a really solid midfield, because we should have enough to beat Leicester. And if we don't, then then it's real alarm bells. So, I mean, if come, come two o'clock on Saturday, Stephen Gerrard has named his ludicrous John McGinn, Jacob Ramsey midfield again, and I'm I've, I'm painting my bedsheet again. But right now I'm folding it up and and putting it away in the drawer and, and hoping that he's learnt a few lessons. Yeah, that team sheet is a real a real big big moment for uh, for Villa fans every week, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I I I do think it's I I still think it's pivotal. I'm feeling. I think we're all feeling a. A touch more buoyant and confident after Saturday, as we should, because it's it yep. was a really good, really good result and a mm. really good performance. But I'd, we were I'd, face down on the floor. Now I think we've lifted a shoulder up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like someone being pinned yeah, in wrestling. We it was getting to free, and he's popped up, and the crowds are going wild. Now we need to kind of stagger yeah, to our feet. I think, I think, I think Gerard still has a way to go, and I think generally. People still see that to use a love of wrestling phrase, he's on the ropes, isn't he? And he's, 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 
you know, he needs to show now. He needs to show that he's he's got that group of players behind him. They raised their game massively for Man City. And you do see this an awful lot. And it happened twice last season. I think he he put in really good displays against Man City, albeit we lost both games. But, you know, really good performances. Um, probably should have had four points out of them, really, um, last season. But... Um, you know, I think I think now it's 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 about he needs his team to become a, more of a flat track bully and more able to just put teams that are, are worse than us away um, and uh, move up the league. It's as simple as that. And the next two are critical because if you lose those two, there's no you know these are two two teams that are are going to be struggling this season and if we're losing to these teams then then there isn't an, an awful lot of hope unless we change the manager and I think I think even losing one of them could be a problem for him given the record and I don't go back necessarily 17 games we we, we started in August um, but <laughs> fair enough but even still, then what, what, what are we four points in 18 yeah it's still it's still lose bad this, enough four points in 21 yeah it's quarter yeah. of a season. The next two games, isn't it? The international break will be around quarter of a season, and if we're in, we're seventeenth at the moment. If we stick anywhere around there, it's, yeah. it's bad times. Yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult, and I think, but he has to. He has to use his common sense with this this week, and hopefully, he's got good people around him that won't um, that won't let him him divert too much away. So we'll we'll, we'll see how how it goes. I'd bring Den Donker in because I like new signings, but. Um, you know that's 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 it really. Um, For who? Well, it probably have to be McGinn, wouldn't it? Really? Um, yeah. And I don't. But like will he that. drop McGinn after making him captain? Is the question. Well, I think you know. it is time to drop McGinn, but I I don't see it. Yeah, he took him off, didn't he? That's why it's so idiotic making him captain. You make him undroppable. I know he said he's not undroppable, but it it was such a ludicrous decision because I think out of all our players, he was the one who. Uh, judging by last season was probably on the precipice of falling out the team he's made a rod for his own back there but but maybe Ashley Young as you know the club captain figure that he is makes it easier to drop him again at the weekend we'll see but do you want to give us um, some predictions for this one guys start with Craig Um, I'm going to go our first clean sheet of the season our first clean sheet in 10 games although we don't talk about last season doesn't exist um, so uh, 1-0 Aston Villa and three points for Gerrard and farewell Brendan if Gerrard has learnt his lessons from the Man City game I think we win 2-1 if he hasn't I think it's a horrible scrappy draw where neither manager and neither team gets anything out of it oh dear I think um, for me I'm going to I'm going to go for um, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Villa win let's be positive a couple for Leon Bailey, I think, or maybe a maybe a Coutinho late pole driver to make the most to make up for last week's uh, disallowed goal. But um, no, thanks for joining me today, guys. It's uh, it's been a, a pleasure as always, and thanks to everyone for listening again. Um, enjoy the game if you're going on Saturday, or if you're not, if you're watching it um, via whatever method you do. Um, let's hope it's. Um, we, we can back up the Man City game and get a really positive result and performance um, and keep uh, maybe keep Gerard in the job for a bit longer. Um, yeah, if you go and have a great day um, and we'll be back next week uh, to review the game and look ahead to the Southampton match. And um, until then, 
All the best, stay safe and up the villa.